0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 10 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. We didn't retire. I know, it's pretty crazy. We've made it to double digits. Pretty exciting stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, and I'm here with my co-host, Stephen Lewis. Good evening. We're in Casa de Lee tonight. We're just all over the
1: place the last few weeks.
0: We are still using Trainer Road's mics. Thanks, Trainer Road. Appreciate it. But uh, I have to be comfortable. It's true, because you've got a bum knee, so you're laid out on the couch yeah. in a slightly provocative position here draw me like one of your french girls jack <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm sorry i just that's
1: what i think of
0: yeah i mean that's what's going on yeah uh, but we're yeah we're podcasting <clears throat> no mormon cocktails but i see some pellegrino on the and la croix right steve croix that's how you say it, it's la french croix. yeah uh, so we're we're doing okay we're keeping it classy we're gonna talk about mountain bikes like we always do stuff in the news um a bunch of you left reviews thank you for that uh, go over your questions And we have a topic that we want to cover from our perspectives because a lot of people are debating it right now, but we'll cover it. So just the same, uh, once again, you can find this podcast wherever you're listening to it, but you can also find it on iTunes. You can find it on Stitcher, forgive me, you can find it on SoundCloud, all over, uh, wherever you can listen to podcasts and you can leave us reviews there. And we like five star reviews, don't we, Steven? We don't like anything but five star reviews. (laughs) That's right. So please, if you don't want, or if you want to leave a review and it's not a five star review, just let us know. And hopefully, it's something that we can change. And if we can change, that would be sweet because then you could leave a five star review. We'd all be happy. You'd be happier because the podcast would be more to your liking. And change is good. A win-win. We need to be all for it. So, And please share the podcast. Continue to do that. We've been growing. Again, this is a big week for us. And now that we have 10 episodes, I have certain plans in place that I think are going to be pretty cool. So it's going to be cool. Anyways, um, let's go into... First of all, I just wanted to mention some of your reviews. Thanks for leaving them. You can do so on iTunes is the main place, but you can also review it in different areas like on the Google Play Store or stuff like that too. But uh, on Stitcher as well. This one's from Hamilton. It says, the best podcast out there. It gives me a lot of insight and helps me know what is going on in the mountain bike world. Keep doing it. It's really kind of the one of the goals. Yeah. R- really, we just want people to be more stoked on mountain biking. Exactly. So if that happens, that's good. Uh, JT Cycle, rode long yesterday. A couple of these podcasts made the time go by quickly. Keep them coming. Nice.
1: Do you want to read the last two, Stephen? Uh, Keters, I'm not a big mountain biker. Well, you make me read this one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Keters, uh, I'm not a big mountain biker, but these guys have a good podcast and share some great information. Nice. And then weird name...
0: Yeah, I, which we put down weird name because it was just... It was, it was actually was, weird name. It was actually a, yeah, yeah. Although no, this one was just a really long weird name.
1: Oh, because there is one that's also There's weird There's also we left by weird Yeah, name. this yeah, is a really so. long name with a bunch of K's and R's and yeah, stuff. Yeah, things. Yeah. Yep. Uh, great show. I usually go back and listen a few times. Lots of great thoughts on training and racing. Sweet. Yeah. Cool. So thanks for all the reviews, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Keep them coming. It's always good.
0: We have 29 five-star reviews. When we get to fifty-five star reviews, maybe that's when we'll give out maybe the the bike rack that we were talking about. We have some other goodies too. We have a we have a bunch
1: of goodies coming yeah. in the works.
0: Yeah, so we'll be giving away some cool stuff. But just the same, that's where we're sitting there. So thanks for leaving the reviews. You can do so once again on iTunes or wherever else. We appreciate it. Let's get straight into your questions. Question: That's
1: a ridiculous question. False. That's debatable. <laughs>
0: Uh, Josh says I'm new to mountain biking and wanted to know if a spin bike or a salt bike can help my bike fitness or is a trainer more benefit, the most beneficial. And just to be clear, Steven and I said, what is an assault bike?
1: (laughs) And we instantly both thought that this is some sort of CrossFit thing. And turns out it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's so good. So, um, which by the way, I'm not
0: a CrossFit hater at all. In fact, I'm functional fitness. I, I the principles behind CrossFit are are perfectly sound and awesome. So um, it's just the culture of it's always fun to poke fun at. It's very easy to do. So um, he says, I live in Hawaii and do mostly enduro riding. I also ride BMX and motocross regularly. This guy lives in Hawaii, rides motocross, rides BMX, rides mountain bikes, has a son. Like, sounds like things are pretty good, man. Yeah. Kind of want that, what he's got going on there. Serious. Yeah. Um, He says... Uh, my son and I do jujitsu and I have these machines available to me while he is in class. Mahalo, uh, Mahalo indeed, Josh. Uh, in fact, I don't know if you're on the big Island, but if you are, I'll be coming your way in October this year. So for Kona, but, um, anyways, uh, a trainer is better.
1: A trainer will be better. Yes, but anything helps.
0: Absolutely true. Um, the reason that a trainer is better is because it's more fit to what you are doing, yeah. and there—I uh, should say, no pun intended there—but bike fit is extremely important. Yeah, and you build strength in the positions that you are in on the bike. And when you are in a slightly different position, even if you try to emulate it very closely, but you're in a slightly different position, uh, whether it's crank length, whether it's fore and aft um, point of the saddle in relation to the bottom bracket or vertical position or the bars and all four axes, everything else, it all changes... And also the, like the saddle and the size and the shape and everything else, it's going to make you engage muscles in a different
1: pattern in a different way. And it synchronizes things totally differently. And that is something that changes your fitness overall. Yeah, it really does. So from a cardio standpoint, that's fine. That's great. It's going to help. Yep. yep. But everything else. Eh. And inherently it's really easy for
0: us to always like in our minds, to kind of separate things from like muscular and cardio. Yeah. Um, But they're all tied together on a bike because you're really dealing with things. You're talking about aerobic and anaerobic performance, basically at a cellular level, you know? So it's not just talking about, you know, having a good heart and lungs, but it's what your muscles do with everything that your heart and lungs are doing, sending that blood with that oxygen to you. So... Um, so yeah, you will have a benefit if you ride a spin bike or an assault bike, uh, whatever that may be, or like even an Airdyne, you know, like an Airdyne is a little different. That's um, a fancy but, assault
1: bike. Yeah, exactly. Or wait, that's a fancy Airdyne is an yeah, exactly, assault bike. Yeah, It's
0: an assault bike, but you'll get a benefit, um, but don't expect it to just purely translate over to your bikes so that you feel like you're perfectly at home and ready to go. Yeah. Um, that's when a trainer gets better. Uh, you can just be more exact. Yeah. Scott, he says, hey guys, what do you think about this technology and what is that technology.
1: So this is a link to an Indiegogo Kickstarter account. Um, it's basically the white crow hub system and it's a gigantic rear hub with a built-in air pump. And it uses a Schwalbe pro core, like two core system for your tubeless setup. And it allows you to adjust air pressure, both up and down on the fly infinitely. Um, it seems like a, a pretty cool technology. I don't know how worthwhile it's going to be in anything but fat bikes.
0: Yeah, and, and it's it's pictured on a fat bike.
1: Yeah, well they actually or show plus up,
0: tires and yeah.
1: yeah, and you can actually in the the Kickstarter uh, or in the Indiegogo um, thing, you can actually purchase an Ibis Mojo Three with that hub built into it. You know, from the factory. So I think it's a it's an interesting idea. I'd like to see how well it works and how many, much maintenance issue it has because stuff like this always ends up being a maintenance issue until they get yeah. to the point where they can mass produce it and spend a lot of time r and it. Not saying that's the case here, but I'd be weary. Yeah. And it's also $1,000 for and a hub yeah, and that weighs twice what a DT Swiss 240 weighs.
0: It doesn't look like it's going to be a success. Um, they have 10 days left. They've raised twelve thousand six hundred and forty-eight dollars through through twenty-four different people, and they have raised. and They have a goal of forty
1: thousand dollars. So they're thirty-two percent.
0: Not saying tricky. it can't be done. Yeah, it could be done because um, that's only you know only twenty-four backers have gotten under that. So they they have to have you know another. Geez, they're gonna have to be over fifty backers if they continue at the current donation rate. But
1: yeah. And this is the first time I've heard of it too.
0: Yeah, yeah. And this actually, yeah. So this was submitted by one of our listeners to for us to check it out. But the one thing that I would say is this, a, a product like this is not, I don't see a use case for it when you're talking about traditional wheels or, or traditional tires. Yeah. Just because you'd think that, well, if you're going to sprint on the road, pump up that pressure, and then suddenly you're going to have really hard tires. Well, that actually doesn't guarantee you better rolling resistance. No and what we've been learning over the past few years especially with rolling resistance studies is that a tire that is deflated more experiences less deflection and when we're talking about deflection we're talking about the inertia and the or the kinetic energy you're carrying forward then instead of getting transferred into forward moment, momentum it goes upward right because your tire is going over all these imperfections even on pavement it's happening yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily. I don't see a huge use case for that. That said, with as tires get wider, tire pressure becomes very crucial. Yeah. And when you look at something like fat biking, I could totally see something like this being helpful yeah. because you're transitioning from different surfaces, and you know you get into sand and you want to drop that that tire down to next to nothing on pressure. So.
1: And yeah, and even going with uh, back to when I was prototyping plus tires for WTB before they were even available to the public. Oh, gee. This would have been something that would have been interesting to try out because the thing that I found at my weight is that the perfect climbing pressure on a trailblazer 2.8 in the light fast casing. Cause that's the only casing they made um, at the time on these prototype tires or pre-production tires mm-hmm. um, that 18 PSI was the optimal rear tire pressure for climbing. But yeah. as soon as I tried to push it in any corners, downhill descending, I rolled it right off the bead and lost it. There you go. So I needed 22 PSI. So this would be a case point for that. But at the same time, I don't really see, you know, I mean, we already have so many levers to flip and things to switch on our bikes when it comes to suspension and the dropper post and everything. I don't see this being a viable solution to traction.
0: Yeah. either do
1: I. Yeah. You
0: know, um, I mean, you can change it at pretty decent resolution. You can know you can go like half a PSI, which is nice. Yeah. Um, so that's good. And I think that there is some definite, like, I think it's cool that somebody is doing cool. this. Yeah. I, I'm the, the nerd in me absolutely loves this type of absolutely. stuff. You know, it's cool. But, um, so yeah, kind of a bummer that it looks like they're not going to hit their mark, but interesting nonetheless. So, and, and also something, did, did, we mention the freewheeling aspect that basically like when you're freewheeling, it pumps up? Yeah. That's when the, the actual
1: air pump produces pressure.
0: It's kind of cool. Yeah. That's pretty, because I was thinking like maybe you charge something beforehand, then just have a little bit left. Like I was wondering, just like a pre charged pneumatic system. Yeah. yeah. But that's, re- I like that. Yeah. Anything that farms its own energy or anything like
1: that, I'm all for on bikes. Now, if they could get this to uh, charge a system that would then spin the motor and the down tube for the road guys. Imagine that. Then they don't have to worry about batteries or anything. But road racers aren't cheaters, never yeah. have been. Never. No, so that's those dirty cross racers. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's the cross racers of the motors
0: in their bikes. So, um, do with that what you will, those sarcastic comments, uh, yes. people. Um, and let's go into Jordan's question. He says, I'm a big fan of and Borelli, uh, who recently switched over to Salt bikes and riding an aluminum frame. Can you talk about the advantages of aluminum and why a professional racer would make that switch? Thanks guys.
1: Really love the show. Uh, two reasons. One money. I was just that's, about that's, to, that's, that's was just about one. to
0: signify the the fingers rubbing together a sign for That's money. why Johan
1: went there. Yep. That's it. Um beyond that the advantages of aluminum are it's cheaper. Yep. They So that's advantage one for the company, not for Johan. No. No, not for Johan. Because Johan's not paying for bikes. No. And also aluminum bends. It doesn't shatter. Yes. I mean aluminum will crack on a weld, which you could call a bug or a feature. Yes, this is true. <laughs> you know, it all <laughs> yes. depends
0: on how you look at it. Yes.
1: Yeah. So the, the, I think those are the two reasons. You know, it, like in rim technology, they say, you know, aluminum rims are heavier, but at least if you bash one on a rock, it'll get you to the end of the race.
0: And one thing I have to say is that while my my
1: specialized tarmac that
0: broke just a few weeks ago with who knows what type of blow it sustained inside a hotel, but... Um, that is a very different story than most mountain bike carbon frames. Yes. If you go on, Pink Pinkbike did a video a long time ago where they went to Santa Cruz's HQ and
1: I think they were t- using a Nomad frame. The, the Nomad V2 back yeah. in 2012, 2013. And yeah. they
0: were stress testing it. Yeah. It, watch that video, people. It's
1: a good video. Because
0: it will make you realize that carbon is not as fragile as you think. No. And it really isn't. No, When we're talking isn't. about these mountain bikes, they make them strong and durable. Yeah. So I think that... The whole argument of oh well as you know it's just more durable don't have to worry about it as much it's kind of moot because you can dent that aluminum bike in many cases just as easy if not easier than you could cause any harm to a carbon bike yeah so um, especially when you're looking at like some aluminum bikes they can get them really lightweight yeah but it's like paper thin
1: yeah you look at like like Cannondale's Cad technology it's very thin aluminum
0: yeah so yeah. you can have some the same damage there so in short. Yoan, kudos to you because remember you're a pro racer and that's what you know he's all about but yeah the real reason he's there is money yes absolutely and that's a common soul makes so that's what he's gonna ride yep that's simple uh Luis he says hey guys love the new podcast I really enjoy the format and content forgive me I enjoy when you guys nerd out on subjects as I learn about things I've never even heard of keep it up on to my question, I do a wide range of riding from gravel races to trail rides. I currently ride a 2013 Specialized Epic and a, that I'm itching to throw a 120mm fork on, an upgrade from the 100mm fork it currently has. The bike is pretty much all done up from years of upgrades, so it's hard to walk away from a bike with good parts to a much more expensive bike with mediocre components. My objective is to make the bike feel more comfortable on the trails. I live in South Florida, so the trails aren't that intense. Am I wasting money? Am I greatly ruining the geometry? Is it even safe for
1: the frame? I appreciate your opinion. Please keep up the good work. Luis, put a 120 fork on your bike and go ride it. It's fine. You're not going to damage anything. You're not destroying. 20 mils is going to change your head tube angle 0.4 degrees. It's going to move your bottom bracket 3 millimeters higher. It's just going to be slightly more comfortable. That's it. Yeah,
0: I think that... Like you mentioned, Luis, that you're riding in, you know, South Florida, so it's not like you have. And you said they aren't that intense. And I've seen a lot of footage uh, from different trails in South Florida, and it's a lot of. They do have some like almost like bike parky stuff, with like a lot of bridges and, yeah. and ladders and stuff like that, which is pretty looks pretty fun. Um, but yeah, it's not like you're dealing with a bunch of chunder and and crazy stuff like that. I so. I would question why you want to put the, just to, and I, I also agree with Steven, put the 120 on. It'll probably make your bike handle better too um, because the the Epic can be a little twitchy Yes, in it's handling or a lot twitchy. So um, that can be something that's pretty frustrating at times. So it will smooth out the bike's handling probably a bit, um, which will be good. The one thing I would say though is question why you want to put that on. Is it because it's in vogue to put on a longer travel fork? Or do you have a specific reason to do that? And I, oh, the only reason I'm saying that is because you have a 2013. Um, instead of putting money into that and getting a new fork and everything else... And maybe just think about saving up for a little bit more and, and find one that maybe a bike that is a little bit more fit for
1: your needs. True. And, so. you know, the other thing is maybe the fork itself isn't the problem on it. 2013 is kind of one of those weird transition years in yeah. XC bikes where they were still putting, you know, 100 and 110 mil stems with super narrow bars. Yeah. Depending on what it was. So maybe he's just getting that really positive steering feel, you know, from a long stem and narrow bars. That's a good point. So it really boils down to what he's feeling, why he wants to do it. You know, what's your motivation?
0: Yeah. And if you put
1: a 120 mil fork on there, I
0: would recommend opening up your brain damper all the way. Just, it, it would just be weird to have, and I guess it's not no different than the other way, but like. Your bike is going to feel more plush in the front with 120 mil. You're going to have a little bit more small bump sensitivity in most cases than just running all the way down to 100, at least in my experience that I've had. So uh, because of that, if you have a little bit more plushness in the front, but your back end is just like a rock because your brain dampers
1: fully closed down,
0: well, that can be annoying.
1: With it being a 2013, the brain's already destroyed anyway. It's probably locked on full. Anyway, they do that over time. They do that over time. So um, that's if the brain's still working. That's a good point. Yeah. So,
0: um, so yeah, Luis. Uh, definitely, your bike is still good. It's still yeah. uh, you know an awesome thing. Putting a one twenty on it is totally good if that's what you're going after, and it won't cause any damage so you'll be fine. Uh, Miles, he says, I have a medium frame 27.5 GT Helion full suspension mountain bike. It's the competition, which retails at around 1700 bucks. I like the frame, but components are entry level. My question is, my plan is to replace the suspension gearing, possibly hubs and wheels with higher quality stuff. Is that a waste of time? Should I just look into getting a completely better bike? What should I
1: do, guys? Thanks. I appreciate everything you guys do. Miles from West Valley, Arizona. So, Miles, these are always hard questions for me because the thing is, it's always going to be more expensive to upgrade everything on a frame than it is to just buy a new bike. Yep. And the first thing that I look at on the the Helion bike um, is, hey, the rear travel or the rear suspension on that is a very basic rear suspension. Um, it's a nine millimeter quick release dropout, so it's a, it uses a ten by one thirty five rear axle. Um, it's just a, I mean, it's a very basic entry-level aluminum frame bike. It does have a tapered headset built in already. Which is nice. Which is nice. Um, and it, it comes equipped with a Dior drivetrain and Dior brakes on it. Which, and a, Which Dior yeah, it function wonderfully. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, But if you're wanting to upgrade, it's probably going to cost you more to upgrade than it is to just buy a new bike. I agree with that. And that's something that really the reason, like, bike companies aren't just trying to screw
0: you on bike prices. They sell these bikes at the price they can, because that's where they can hit the margins. And when they buy all of these components in bulk, they can get a better deal on them. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. So yeah. Forgive me, man, it's late and you've had a long day. You guys are moving headquarters. We tonight. are moving trainer road HQ right now. So yeah, I'm sorry folks. I'm going to pick it up. A game's coming in strong. Stephanie, She says, chain lube. I live in the foothills of NorCal, wet winters and bone dry summers. Should
1: I be switching lube for different seasons or conditions? I use squirt year-round. This uh, Chain lubes are such a personal preference, and this is actually Stephanie Ruff, uh, mother of Liam Ruff. Yes. um, Pro Enduro Racer. Hello, Liam. Hello, Stephanie. You're a ripper, Liam. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So me personally, Stephanie, I use in the winter, I use the, uh, Pedro's, um, sin lube, which is their medium viscosity wet lube. Mm. And that seems to work really well. Um, I can just go bashing through water at Downeyville and do three runs in a day and never need, you know, a a relube, any dry lube, you know, in the summertime, you're talking 20 to 40 miles at best. Um, Dumont tech is always a good one to go with. That's what I
0: use. And I use their, um, oh gosh, it's got some eco green or something like that. It's like a, it's yellow in color.
1: I just use their Dumont tech, the blue one. I forget what, what it's called, but the blue bottle is great too. Yeah.
0: Yep. So I use their, the, the yellow stuff. I shoot, I wish I could remember it right now to say it, but it's, you can find it at most bike shops. You can find it on Amazon or you can find it on competitive Cyclist or arts, whatever else you shop with. But yeah, that stuff. I, if I, so I'm every ride when I come home, I clean my chain off and then I, and then I put lube back on. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I test this over, like, well, it lasts for a week. I'm never interested to find out if my chain lube lasts for a week yeah. because I want to take care of my drivetrain every of time. Yeah. Um, that said, I have done an, like eight hour days. And going through creeks, going through everything else, yeah. with that Demanda Tech that the yellow, which I'm just gonna, I gotta Google this right now. Um, and I have never had a problem with it ever squeaking on me, which is pretty darn cool. I mean, when you think about it, you have creeks, you have all this other stuff that usually it's called the light chain lube. Forgive me, I that use that's the light. I use. I use the original. Yep, yeah, and I've never had an issue with it. It's really good. Um, I used to use their stuff in motocross.
1: Okay. It was so good. On was, your O-ring. Did you use O ring O ring chains in your mm, Moto Days? No, no, no. Okay. we didn't use I don't man because those always required while. special lubricants. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while.
0: Um, but no, uh, I believe they called them X ring, but they don't really have any type of rubber, and then it's yeah. just like, yep. So, um, but anyways, yeah. So the really good stuff, I can't recommend their stuff well enough. That said, uh, Stephanie, you using Squirt is a very educated choice because Squirt is next to like paraffin wax. It is the chain lube that provides the least amount of resistance. Yeah. uh, Or I should say drag in a drivetrain. So it's extremely efficient lube, which is good. Um, but I have used squirt on the
1: dirt and I'm not too impressed. I like it on the road. I like road stuff for road. It's good that any, any sort of the dry wax lubes, um, I just don't find last long enough in the dirt. Yep. They just don't. Yeah.
0: Same here. Yeah. So I don't use dry lube on, on my chains. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know Can
1: either. I share a bike nerd thing with you? Yeah. So I have two chains for every single bike that I own,
0: which nice. only happens to
1: be two. Do you switch them right back? Switch so them what back. I do is after every ride, I take the chain off the bike, soak it in gasoline, let it dry, clean it. And then I hang it in my garage and I drip lube on it and I let it slowly run down it. Next, you know, when I've got the freshly lubed chain on the bike, go ride it, and then I swap them after every ride or two. That's a good
0: way to do it. Yeah. You also get a lot of – you don't get as much drivetrain and wear that that way too, which is nice. Combat's Um,
1: chain stretch a lot better.
0: Yep, exactly, and doesn't cause your drivetrain to just not be matched up. So. Uh, Mike he says hey JNS I recently purchased a Trek Remedy 9.0 alpha aluminum the race shop colors Viper red and black decals good call yes the Rock Shocks also has some of that red highlighted I do love its current look but was wanting to make it look less gumdrop looking by adding some accent colors I need your expertise where should I add what should I change and what should that color be love the show equally love the Trainer Road Ask a Cycling Coach podcast as well keep up the good work fellas Mike So first of all, Stephen and I use, um, for our bikes, if you've seen our bikes, we use stickered S T I K R D com. com, and you can go there and you can email Richard good dude. And he will get you set up
1: with some pretty cool custom decals, which is nice. Which is, is very can- nice because he does them custom for every single customer. And if you don't have a specific idea in mind, like you and I had very specific goals in Correct. in your ASR last year and my last 5.5 yep. with the themes that we wanted to go with. And he was totally willing to work with that. Yep. But he's also willing to help people out. So, well, Mike, I don't know exactly what you're going for as far as a look. If you really, you know, if you really want to do like a Viper theme with it, if you want it to be very sharp, you know, I don't know how you want to go about it. But Richard is a very good artist and he's, you know, he can handle all of that. So I would just get a hold of Richard and go from there.
0: Yeah. A couple things really quick. Don't go crazy on accenting colors. No. Um, you have to be disciplined with that one for sure. Like we were talking about the other day, don't ever get a colored stem. That's just
1: not okay. Yeah. Colored chain rings are barely acceptable
0: in very rare cases. Are they? Yeah. And in most cases it's kind of like a compromise. It's a little, little much, but not always. Um, the one thing that I would say is that if you have, um, a ro- certain road bikes, like, like. Classic style looking road bikes, they can have painted stems. Well, of
1: course, but that's, that's a different deal. Yeah.
0: So, um, but yeah, mountain bikes don't get a painted stem. Um, I would stay away from colored drivetrain parts. Uh, yeah. Stay away from like the anodized hard parts like that. Don't match your bars to anything. Keep yeah. your bars black. Um, they can have decals on them that yeah. are subtle, but yeah. The one thing that I always look at is look at the main color on the frame and whatever that frame may be. If it's a black frame, the rest of the parts in your bike are probably going to be black. So if there's any accent color, like red in this case, forgive me uh with red i would then look at different opportunities to bring in that red but not distract from the frame because the frame should always be the focal point of the bike like unless
1: you've chosen a different focal point for your bike but chances are this is a complete build that you bought so yes that's going to be the frame as your focal point Yep.
0: and in most cases it's always Mm. best if you do keep that focal point on your frame you've got to have a really exceptional situation to like do the focal point outside of the chassis on your bike. Right. If you're drawing the attention to the fork, it's going to look a little weird, you know? So, um, so that's what I would say. And then, um, you can do things just in terms of design wise, Richard is the type of guy that'll take care of this for you, but Pantones are huge. If you don't know what Pantones are, those are actually cataloged colors. So you can send that to a printer, and they can match that perfectly. So if you have a bike and you contact the manufacturer and you can say, do you have the Swatch code or the Pantone code? The for RAL that code, code, like yeah. Yeti Turquoise's RAL5018. Yep. And that's how you know that we are nerds. We are definitely <laughs> <Yeah>. nerds. <laughs> yep. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the way to do that. Uh, that's the best way. Uh, okay. Ryan, uh, we're ripping through these really quick. Hi guys. Great podcast. I'm in the market for a trainer. I have a Yeti and he says drink <laughs> arc and our ARC.
1: I love that. That's a thing now.
0: I know. Right. It's pretty good. And I'm looking at the kicker. What trainer do you recommend for a mountain bike? What extra parts will I need to get it up and running with trainer road? I have a SRAM drive train. Will
1: I need spacers and new cassette, et cetera. Thanks Ryan. So it comes with an 11 speed or 10 speed cassette, depending on which ones you buy. You just need a through axle, right? That's a through axle adapter. Yeah. You need a through axle adapter. That's all. Which you can get from Wahoo. Uh, they don't do
0: boost, but the arc is not boost. So you don't have to worry about that. And also for those with boost yet, I can't, I cannot confirm nor deny, but there may be some news on that very soon. So, um, but yeah, so that, that's, that's going to be in place. And all you need for yours is the 142 by 12 through axle adapter. You have the Shimano E through axle system in the back. So that through axle adapter will come with a few different like um, couple like cups, I guess you could say. One is tapered for like a tapered inset on like a specialized, for example. Yeah. And then another one is just like straight lipped, and that's what you get use the Shimano. Yeah. Um, so that would be the only difference. When you get that through axle adapter, it's gonna have a bunch of little things on it. There's a threaded nut with flat edges on it that actually threads on just on the just on the outside edge of the smallest cog of your cassette. Because, or just thread that on right there so it butts up against the lock ring of the cassette. Uh, That just gives you a little spacer that you need to gap evenly. And then after that, you replace the little cup inside the kicker that says 135, put the 142 one in. And and slide it in.
1: Yeah. It's really simple. There's instructions on it too. You don't have to re listen to this. Yeah. It's pretty, it's very simple and straightforward.
0: The only thing that I would say as far as like on uh, the, the kicker um, for the mountain bike or for mountain biking, I think that, or for smart trainers, the kicker is the best one right now. The tax Neo is pretty good, but the problem with the tax Neo is that it has a really long and oddly shaped body that doesn't work with some mountain bikes because they have big chain stays. Uh, so you actually can't mount it on there. Got it. So that's the one thing I would say. Uh, those two, and then Cyclops has their Cyclops has boost one forty eight adapters. I think for theirs. Yeah, already they do. Yep, yeah. and also uh, Neo Tax does have that for the Neo two. But as we just said, yikes! We almost had a microphone avalanche there. I almost dropped it. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, the the kicker is currently the best one. Mike, hey guys, love the show. Got a question for you. What impact does one by drivetrain have on power loss due to chain angle online? line? I love one by but saw this video and it got me wondering. Um so this is and he says that maybe not for um he says maybe not maybe it's something for trail riding you never worry about but for X race XC racing maybe it does matter. What do you think? And I think that this is pretty much this this guy. He's um, he has a video, and I don't even want to say his name because it's so clickbait. I don't want to give him the satisfaction, but he says four big problems in all caps of one by ten, one by 11, one by twelve drivetrains, one by drivetrain. The truth. The truth. This sounds like I like. Uh, sorry to the person that made this, but I picture you with a tin hat right now in a basement and you it's know, a tin pearl Izumi hat. That's true. The video. There we go. The, I just really don't um, like videos like this. And the reason for is because I believe that it's spreading false information. Now, granted chain line used to be a huge thing. Yep. But SRAM has, and I'm sure Shimano. I know SRAM has engineered their chains to actually operate at a wider range of yes. angle. Yep. Without drivetrain
1: loss. Yeah. You're talking like point percentages. Yeah. Of 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 actual loss in torque. Yeah. Honestly, that. Is like conspiracy theory stuff to me in the real yes. world. That is just outrageous, outlandish, and has no base in real scientific like field data. Like you you can't actually you yeah. might be able to say, oh, on this little mum- pfft, insert, yeah. whatever sort of like, you know, device this is for measuring, I can sense, you know, some sort of drivetrain loss. You're not getting in the real world. No. No. Uh that yeah. I'm not
0: going to, yeah, I think I'll just leave it here. I don't want to get any brands in trouble on this one. But he's pointing at a specific, quirky, weird brand of bike in this video a lot. And
1: he seems like the type of folk that might use that brand. So, anyways. Are you saying that he had a bunch of Cannondales <laughs> in the video? <laughs> just saying, you know, just saying. Which is fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's. and the guy's pointing to a bike with a head shock on it.
1: Yeah, an old F700 hardtail.
0: So, yeah. So, drivetrain loss, while it is something that sure you could measure, Stram has tried, and I'm sure Shimano has actually tried to design around that. Yes. So, you're fine. Uh, some things in the news, really quick. News team assemble! First of all, uh, there's a thing going on Rotor Gate. Rotor Gate UCI. Uh, so, quick recap. Roadies and keep in mind, everybody. I'm a roadie, so I can say these things. But roadies are just horrendously behind the times. Yes, it's frustrating. Uh, they're slow to adopt. They rely too much on tradition. Uh, that's true of roadie culture in general. Yes. I'm not saying that's true of every roadie. There are absolutely exceptions all over the place. But um, so they they think that disc brake rotors are spinning fire breathing wheels of thirst. Death bloodthirsty yeah, blood um, flesh tearing objects that are strapped to a bicycle and they think they're just ready to tear apart the whole pellet. because them. cassettes aren't yeah cassettes aren't
1: yeah and they're chain rings chain rings no not bladed
0: at all. spokes no problem no no problem at all so uh, it's it's ridiculous yes they've been pushing against this for so long and Anytime a rider crashes now, and if disc brakes are involved, their wounds are suddenly in, caused by a disc brake. All of them. Or by our disc rotor. <clears throat> and it's absurd. And Kaylee Fretz, I don't know if you're listening to this. I know you're a fellow podcaster with the Villain News Podcast. Good job on that, by the way. But bless your heart. Great video. Yes. You uh, you did a video. Uh, he wins
1: the internet today, uh, I he think. He does.
0: Yeah, actually, yes. We have decided that you won the internet today. We did. So, uh the video is all about what can disc rotors actually cut. And he spins up a bike and I think he's got like a 53 on it's the, a yeah, 53 11. Yeah. Yeah. So he spins this thing fast.
1: It's to 40 miles an hour.
0: Yeah. At least. Cause he's pulling some serious cadence with that arm there. Yeah. And when he's spinning it in the bike stand and then he grabs a road shoe and he presses that road shoe hard into the rotor
1: until the rotor stops until
0: it stops. Then nothing. he does the same with a saddle. Nothing, nothing, and then he does the same with a piece of cardboard and big shock, the cardboard tour. Yeah. But good thing your bicycle and your skin is not cardboard. Yeah. So he pressed these things against the, the rotor and it's timely that he did the shoe because the guy that fell from team sky claims that Marcel Kittel, the only guy with disc rotors in the Peloton. He claimed that his rotors split his shoe open. I don't know what split this guy's shoe open. I saw it. I haven't a clue. But, I don't believe that it was a brake rotor. No, not at all. Because if you watch Kaylee push that shoe into the brake rotor, he did it twice
1: twice and it just barely rubbed the the paint surface off There of are it. marks and yeah.
0: those and he was
1: using sharp rotors Now i'm saying sharp and air quotes people now the thing is you got to remember what uci made shimano do is made special ice tech rotors for the road guys that have a curled corner they basically um they basically pressed the corners together so that they were beveled and rounded so that they were even less sharp than an Instead off-the-shelf of being ICE squared tech. off yeah
0: and even squared off as Kaylee is showing, it can't cut through these things. No. And it's not like Kaylee is intentionally doing it in a certain way. No, he's just pressing the thing in there. Yeah. So I, I heard some, and uh, uh, we had a conversation at work. Somebody said just the sheer impact of hitting the rotor split this guy's shoe open. And that doesn't make sense either. Cause you'd see like the leather actually like pilling in. Yeah. if That was the case. There's none of that. So I don't know what cut that guy's shoe open and I don't really care. But what I do care about is that, these riders are uneducated and what they're doing is they're talking, uh, they're blaming an innovation, a genuine performance enhancing innovation. I don't know if you can actually say that with a move from 10 to 11 speed. I don't know no. if you can actually say that with a lot of the aerodynamic gains that companies claim, because Really, for those that don't know, with aerodynamic testing, basically, you take your bike to the wind tunnel, you measure it at zero degrees yaw, and if it doesn't prove what you want to prove, then you measure it at one degrees yaw, and then you go to two, and then you go to three, and then you change the circumstances until it shows that it's fast, and then that's the use case that you use. That's how it works, people. So, So if anything, this is probably one of the most beneficial performance enhancements to road bikes in years that people will have. Yeah. And it's sure traction is a limiting factor on a road bike. I get that, but you're going to have so much more feel at that brake, so much more control and so much more connection in between what your fingers are doing and traction that you're going to be able to handle your bike better.
1: It's and they're fighting it tooth and nail
0: tooth and nail. And, and here's the biggest problem, you know, who loses in this because all of us average Joe's we're going to buy disc brakes. Yeah, We already do. Yeah. So go ahead, Peloton screw yourself over. By continuing to just push the people that are paying your bills into a tougher spot. Yeah. Because big big news, no big third-party companies are going to pay your bills for more than a year. Because that's how long their contract is going to last. Yeah, Road cycling teams cannot hold sponsorships. No. And they're, they're just constantly going through it. Now you've got government funding coming in and funding teams. That, my friends, is called the curtain call. When things when you start getting funded by government agencies that aren't going to be pulling it, you don't have any type of third party private money coming into the sport to keep it afloat. Yeah, because that means that those companies that can be more agile and change things around, they are recognizing the fact that they don't get a good return
1: on investment. (laughs) So, were you listening to the Rafa podcast recently? No, the last two episodes they were talking a lot about funding.
0: Yes, yeah, that's true. Forgive me. Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. So you that's the so these riders have bike companies paying their bills. And that's like one of the only sponsors that they're holding because the, the third party sponsor that you have, the outside industry sponsor, it'll be gone soon because they'll realize that they can't make money doing this either. They're just going to lose money. So you're going to come together as riders and say, and be uneducated first of all, and assume that this is what's going to cause an injury. And you're going to hurt the bike companies that are paying your bills If I were you, I would stop that. Yeah. And I would
1: suddenly get very interested in making those bike companies more money. Because this year, guess what? Guess what the big push on road race bikes is? Disc brakes. Disc brakes.
0: And and I would really re-examine what I'm doing as a Peloton, as a group of riders. Because And for everybody saying that this is just another way for bike companies to make money, yes. Yes, it is. It is. That's their job. Yeah. Their job is to make money. Their job is also to
1: give us bikes that perform better. Yeah. And they're doing that. They're giving us a reason to yes. spend money with them.
0: So instead of getting upset at them for, you know, doing this, they're actually giving you something that will make your bike better. Yeah. And demonstrably better in so many ways. Yeah. So it's it's absolutely ridiculous. And Kaylee Fretz, you're you're an American hero for making that video. Yes. And I hope that more people, I hope that everyone sees that. So if you go on to News, their Facebook page. And look at that and share that with everybody you see. And instead of posting about Trump, because nobody really cares to hear more about that argument. We already know exactly. So anyways, good stuff. Rotor gate. I feel like that was cathartic
1: for me. That was, you kind of got some, I got intense out.
0: Sorry about that. Yeah. You good now? Yeah. I think I'm good. Let's move on to Costa Rica. Um, trans Costa Rica is happening, which doesn't actually
1: cross Costa Rica. Like the name might imply, it's just in Costa Rica. It's trans a little bit of Costa Rica. <laughs> trans a little bit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they move from one place to another. <laughs> that's
0: true. That's true. Um, but a really cool race. And friend of the podcast, Amy Morrison, and and one, and one of the well, one of the the only athlete I coach actually, the first athlete I'm coaching, which is kind of crazy. She's go. racing it right now.
1: Friend uh, Corey Sullivan, he's racing it too. Aaron Bradford's down there racing it on the Marin team. Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a bunch of people down there that we know. It's pretty sweet. So. Um, they're going to be racing this race.
0: It's, it's, it's a blind enduro, uh, very traditional in that sense. So they don't get to pre-run any stages. Nope. You just go in blind Yeah. and it's jungle, man. Uh, pretty gnarly. So it's a really cool race. Keep your eyes on that. I think that these type of races that we see popping up all over the place are, um, it's exciting because it's actually mountain bike racing growing, which is pretty cool. Absolutely. So good enduro excited to see the races or the results on that. Dior or Shimano released the Dior
1: six thousand group set. Really under cool. s- under six hundred bucks. Six hundred bucks with breaks for a two by ten. Because we all want two buys. Yeah, well, and then you go <laughs> Sorry, (laughs) (laughs) the the OE manufacturing. You got to remember that they're still going to have base models with two by and three by. Yep. So it's a very beautiful setup. Like look at that Dior two by crank that's in the first. Because I mean, it looks like XTR. Yeah, and they're running um, Shadow Plus rear derailleur now. It's pretty cool. Um, So it's it looks like it's a good setup. Um, The Dior brakes are awesome. Um, they look like a very refined setup now. They don't look so chunky and Dior like they did last year. Yeah. Um, so they look good. I I kind of like it. Um, and cool. And then you know the so accessible. Yeah. That and then, price. And then finally SLX the M seven thousand. They went full wide range eleven forty six. Pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah. And SLX wheels or no? I'm sorry, just XT wheels. That's XT right. wheels. Yeah.
0: Yep. So. Pretty
1: awesome. Very awesome. I Pudo like it. Shimano.
0: Yeah. So, for those that are wondering, Dior is analogous to the GX from yeah. SRAM. Uh, That'd be like
1: GX. GX. Yeah. I'd say GX. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Valparaiso uh, Cerro Abajo happened, which was the downhill, urban downhill race in Chile.
1: Oh, I thought you sneezed. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> okay. um,
0: but that that's an awesome race. And that one, holy cow. Like that.
1: Uh, if you want to watch a video that gets you going, I don't. <sighs> Because Tom- Tomas Slavic's yes. run, it kind of terrified me in a few moments. There, I was like, "Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, yeah, wait, yeah, what's what you, going on? Whoa, whoa, yeah,
0: yeah. that that staircase that he hits.
1: Yes, you'll have to watch it. The with the right hand U-turn. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I like the front wheel pop to I, get the. I, I had wheel. a
0: moment there yeah. watching that. I was it was pretty scary. So, um, but really cool. Very good race. Awesome stuff. Uh, and uh, that was the original, I believe, the original urban downhill, but I could be wrong. Sounds sounds about right. Yeah, it's been around for a long time. Very weird,
1: very weird sport, but awesome yeah. to watch.
0: And I've been there and r- walked right in the streets of where that course was, and it's a really cool city. So whenever I was going through it, and I never thought of racing a downhill bike down it, and it's pretty terrifying even thinking of doing that. So pretty kudos to all those guys. And finally, y'all knew this was coming. Another opportunity for Drinking. everybody to drink. Yes. Um, the Yeti Fox factory team they announced their team roster. This is big news, not just because it's for us dudes that are, that are Yeti freaks, but it's, um, or Yeti, I guess ambassadors too, we yeah. should be clear, but, um, so disclaimer there, but the team has expanded pretty darn, like I'm surprised. So Richie rude's still leading it, which is awesome. Cody Kelly, still also running things in this, in this sergeant position there. And he is like, still th- that guy has some of the best style ever on a bicycle. Yeah. Everything always looks good. It does. I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know how he does it. Maybe it's the talent. hair. It's the talent. It's the talent. Yeah. It's not the hair. No, it's the okay. Talent. It's definitely. The talent. Talent. Okay. I got gotcha. you. I thought you were going to say it was the hair too. Um, but they added in the national side of things, uh, Jubal Davis, awesome rider, Bay Area guy. You, Yeah, you should check out his Instagram, everybody, if you're looking for it, J-U-B-A-L Davis. And his bike handling skills are insane, like really good. Are you comfortable there, Steven? I'm getting there. He's trying to work around in a position for his knee to work out. So he has insane bike skill, people, yeah. like really good bike skill. So, and then Sean Near, really fast racer, Yes, um, women's pro rider,
1: and Galleon, which is really cool to see her added on there. Definitely. And then Chris Heath, man. He's my guy. I love Chris. He's, yep. my, he's my inside sales guy through the shop, and he's my main contact there. He's there five days a week. He's <laughs> yeah, on yeah. our national pro team. The guy's a shredder. He's fast. It's pretty awesome. And he's yeah. old, too. Yeah. It's crazy. And you know what the other crazy thing is? And I know a
0: lot of bike companies are like this. A Just kidding, Chris. I know them. you're
1: not actually that old.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a lot of bike companies have a lot of um, really fast employees. But yeah. Can you imagine what their lunch rides must be like there?
1: Yeah. Dude. If you've ever, have you ever called Yeti? Yeah. Between 11 and one thirty, You don't get an answer. Yeah. They're out on their lunch ride. Leave us alone. Yep. Yeah. Kind of pretentious to some people. No. I'm I love all for it. it. I'm all I'm for all it. For Go it, do your man. lunch ride. Yep. Yeah,
0: pretty cool. And then their U21 team, um, they have Duncan Nason and Paul Sarah. Um, so a lot of these guys are going to focus. I think Duncan Nason
1: and Paul Sarah are probably going to be at the, um, they're going to be at the CES rounds. They're going to be some of the CES and I think they're going to be mostly BME. Yep. They're more regional guys, I think. Yep. And, Don't – sorry, don't have us run through all the acronyms that represents
0: Enduro Racing Series. There are too many of them to keep track. It's alphabet soup. So if you just hear the acronym, type it in, then type Enduro, and you'll find out what it is. (laughs) So Perfect. It's just alphabet soup with all that stuff. So pretty cool. Um, Just some other things too. They have Toyota as a sponsor now. Good. I mean, which – this, I mean, this kind of feels like, Steven, do you think we had something to play in this?
1: I think it's, yeah, we need some money
0: out of this I or something. I think so, right? Yeah. <laughs> We're both big Toyota fans. Um, I have a Tacoma. Uh, Steven has the TRD Pro 4Runner. So pretty cool stuff. Good to see. But that is cool to see. That's really good to see.
1: That that big of a company is taking interest in enduro racing. Yeah. I like that. And yeah, the the interesting thing, um, Toyota's regional um, headquarters for the entire Western region is based in Denver. So I wonder if there's some sort of connection there, but still the fact that they're partnered with Toyota, that's great.
0: I could see a video with uh Richie Root and Cody Kelly coming out like a commercial,
1: kind of like the Peter Sagan and Volkswagen commercial. I haven't seen that. Thing. No, From did he ago? do Did he do a wheelie? He he rode his bike onto the roof of his car and oh, put it in yeah. the rack and yeah, then jumped right. off and got in the car.
0: Yeah, no, I, I was thinking more along the lines of like the Justin Barsha ones you see with the JGR guys from Supercross. Okay, I could see it. Okay, Cody Kelly's hair would make it. You know, it's just <laughs> not, not his talent. His hair, not his talent in this case. It okay, would be his hair. Yeah, good. it would look pretty cool. So, anyways, cool to see. Stoked about that. Um, Yeah, it's a good company to ride for. Um, but let's get down to business. It's business time. It's business. It's business time. What we're going to be talking about today is highly controversial. It's uh, right now, uh, all credit to Pinkbike for kind of being an impetus in us deciding this. Um, Matt Ragg and Matt Casimir, both of them, or Casimir, sorry, both of them talked about e-bikes and there's a whole lot of discussion and it's not a big surprise kind of wish that we had kurt gensheimer with us uh, because he's been on both sides of the e-bike fence yeah and uh, i think we should talk about this so i think personally i I think that e-bikes in many ways are good for mountain biking why i i feel like one thing inherent to an industry or a sport is growth. Okay. And right now I feel like the mountain bike industry is experiencing in some respect growth. Uh, the one spot where it isn't growing is with XC racing because it requires a whole lot of fitness and it makes things very difficult. And mountain biking also is something that's kind of, kind of a high barrier of entry. So I, you know, you pretty much like Enduro is an accessible event now, okay. but it's, kind of a complex thing. You need a lot of bike skill. It's pretty tough. Okay. And I think that the one thing that even though people don't realize that the bike skill side is scary, but the biggest thing that a person becomes aware of when they first get into mountain biking is how slow they are going uphill or on flats compared to their, the people they ride with makes it tough to, to kind of fit in or feel excited about getting into riding a lot of the time for a lot of people. And I feel like an e-bike could help in that situation but above all, I feel like an e-bike could really help for people that, you know, can't for one reason or another ride at the, the pace that they want to ride at with their friends or okay. or need to ride at.
1: Short of, um, and I experienced this once, I've, I'm very like anti-e-bike. Yeah. Like I think that um, e-bikes okay. are fun for commuting and fun for screwing around on. Yeah. But as far as like a serious avenue of mountain biking- one day we were doing um, a typical trail dry pond loop yep. and going up the, the south side. Or we were going up the south side, the steep side. Right. And um, an 85-year-old guy, we came up on him climbing up on an e-bike. And I thought,
0: okay, I could see this. Pretty cool because he's 85 yeah. and getting This ride. guy
1: wouldn't be able to do this ride if he didn't have some sort of pedal-assisted e-bike. Yep. So good on him for getting out there at his age he was 85 years old he yeah. told us that he was 85 it's pretty cool um, so that i get but you talk about high barrier of entry but i still stand on the fact that if it's worth doing shouldn't it be a little hard shouldn't you have to like earn it shouldn't you have to put in some sort of effort i mean it's a valid I, point i just don't see i see it as a dumbing down or vanilling of the sport itself it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make, when you get to the top of the climb, what you've earned in views and yeah. scenery and just the sheer adrenaline for going downhill, you haven't really earned it on any yeah. bike.
0: And, I, and I, I think that's a great point because I feel like when you get to the top, the reason that view is so sweet, the reason it's so enjoyable, everything else, is that sense of satisfaction you get from the work you put in. Yeah. And I feel like that is one thing that a lot of people will... Not have, to the same degree, perhaps, is a better way of saying that. And as a result, I don't think mountain biking will be as rewarding for them. Mm. I then that that could be, that that's a generalization. Of course. But I could see
1: that. I think it's a good point. I mean, it will be rewarding for a lot of people who wouldn't otherwise go out there and put in the amount of effort it takes to gain those views. But at the same time, I still feel cheated that they you know, didn't earn what I've earned.
0: Yeah. So I know, I don't feel the cheated part at all. And that's something that I, have always found that I'm kind of unique in that way though. I don't care as much about your experience relative to mine. And I'm not saying yours, Steven, I'm saying yours to anybody.
1: And and as the listeners need to understand, you and I are playing parts right now. Exactly. We're in character.
0: Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't really care about that relatively speaking. Yeah. And this is 100% genuine out of character here. Um, I, if, if, it was something that was really satisfying for me. That's great. Yeah. Um, and if it if you cheated your way to the top, don't care. If it was my profession, that's a different deal, of right? Of course. Um, but <clears throat> the one thing that I I I always go back to though is the fact that like I think of my father, and he's gotten into mountain biking, but he's had multiple knee major knee surgeries, and and he's a busy guy that doesn't mm-hmm. get a whole lot of time to train, and and. It's tough for him to go out and enjoy the average trail that a mountain biker rides in our area because if there's a mountain bike trail in our area, it goes up. Yeah. We don't have mountain bike trails that just stay flat. It's very, we only have like one network that I can think of in Reno that does anything close to that. Yeah. Right. And so because of that, it's really hard for him to just pick up mountain biking and have fun with it. And I look at him and I'm like, man, if he had an e bike, you know how much more enjoyable it could be? And you know how much more money the industry would get thinking about that. If people like him could get into riding. more. Uh, so I think that that's something that could be really positive for the industry. Very true. So, uh, and, and I, that said, I feel like there are some, and this is something that, that I, I think that we both agree on. I'm trying to take the side of, of supporting e-bikes here, but, one spot where I simply can't support things is when we get into multi-use trails. Yeah. And I think that, and so in my mind, there are severe concerns because call it pedal assist, but I don't know how you tell somebody that has no clue that that bike is a pedal assist, how your bike is not motorized. When you are on a trail and you are going fast up a trail without a motor and you scare somebody they think that you're a bicycle and they're just upset that you're on the trail and you scared them. Yeah. If you are going fast up that trail and you have a motor, they hear your bike whirring or they see you roosting or anything like that. Or people just start to understand that bicycles now have motors. How does that make you different from a motorcycle in their eyes? I get it. It's pedal assist and from our mind, but you know what? what to an equestrian, you know, rider, good or luck explaining hiker, that.
1: doesn't matter to them.
0: So That fallout of communication or understanding that is inevitable. I'm sorry, but it's not like we're going to hold a seminar for all multi-use trail users, for hikers and and horse riders, to say, "Please come here." Yeah, please come here, so we can educate you on this new thing called e-bikes. They don't care.
1: Yeah, they don't care. They're not going to come to that. They're not going to.
0: No. Yeah. So for us to somehow make to for us to go, no, no, no. This is a pedal assist bike, not an e-bike. That is not realistic. And what will happen if we start to have problems from people riding too fast in sections of trail or without respect, because if you've ridden a pedal assist bike, you can carry speed. You can haul ass uphill. A lot. Yes. Like a lot of speed and downhill. You can carry a ton of speed Yeah. more because you can accelerate quicker. It's going to top out at a certain point. It's not going to help you more in terms of wattage, but it's not going to top out with speed. No. It can still help you, yeah, so as long as you've got gear, you've got more power, yep, and that you've also got more weight, you've got a lot of different things that it's going to make the bikes more sluggish to handle all this other stuff so i I have genuine fear about the already tenuous state that our trail permissions are in, yes, across the United States and around the world, and I feel like while this could be good because it will bring a lot more people to mountain biking, and maybe that brings more trail advocacy, right, yeah. That could be really good. I think that it's going to put even more stress in an already fragile relationship
1: that is with uh, mountain bikers and multi-use trails. Yeah. So question for you then, as far as bringing up more advocacy, is the type of person that is not going to get on a mountain bike and climb up a mountain, but will get on a pedal-assisted e-bike and climb up the mountain, are they the kind of people that are going to come out and help build trails and help maintain trails? In general, if you have to speak in superlative, is that the type of person? I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I that mean, person is not
1: going to be a trail advocate.
0: It's hard to say, right? I mean, I I feel like it's certainly like we're like you mentioned we're, we're we're generalizing.
1: Yes, we're very much generalizing in all of this,
0: right? But I think that what we're getting at here is there is sort of a give and take um, relationship that a mountain biker has with his trails. Yes, that like he takes from the trail when he rides, but. Mm-hmm. There's an an inherited understanding that you give back to that trail, and it's kind of well. They're supposed
1: to be, yeah. There's There's only about ten percent of bikers that actually do, but we should. Yes, we all should.
0: And there's that certain relationship that's the common thread is work. Yes, and when you're putting in work to go up, you understand that hard work ethic, and you become more. I guess, um, uh, I guess, almost like in tune with the trail with that relationship of work. So I can understand that. At the same time, though, I'm not sure that we can generalize with that because what if these people just desperately want to or would uh, want to enjoy these trails and and they would value it so greatly if they could only experience it in a better circumstance?
1: Then absolutely.
0: And if that's the case, then you can't deny them that. Then it would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if we could bring more people to show that. The only problem is be as positive of a trail advocate as you can but if you're riding a motorized bicycle because i'm sorry pedal assist is still motorized yes if you're riding a motorized bicycle i'm not sure you're even legally allowed to be on those trails you know i mean in my mind yeah i don't know how you separate that from being a motorized vehicle yeah i agree so i mean we've talked about wilderness before and we've talked about access to bikes now that should be there E-bikes will never have access. I don't see Guaranteed how e-bikes, will never... I could only see them hurting that. Yep. That should be kind of a bummer, you know? Um, but I mean, I really do hope to see as e-bikes increase, I hope to see that I think that on the commuting side of things, it makes perfect sense. It's Absolutely. great. Yep, I would love to have, because for me, I, I, I don't see commuting as training. I see commuting as wasted time yeah. on a bicycle because I am putting fatigue on my body. And if I'm going to train on my bicycle, it's going to be specific and, and I'm going to get it done because I don't have enough time to yeah. do other stuff. So I can't get that in on a commute. So all the commute does is tire me out. Yeah. So I would love it, but I still enjoy riding a bicycle. So I would love to have a, an, a, an actual pedal assist bike that would be really easy to just to pedal into town and go to work. Yeah. That'd be cool. I would really like that. Um, I hope that it does bring more people to this sport but I guess my signing off part with this is, I hope that it brings, also I hope that it brings an understanding of this sport to these people too, yeah. and the the weird and dysfunctional relationship that it has with trails and other users. Yeah, you know. So I think that it's uh, it's also makes total sense from the from. I mean, if you're a bicycle company, you are looking for ways to increase your market size, and this is a way to do it. And I think it, you know, makes perfect sense. But you also, if you're, you're decreasing the amount of area that a person can use a bike, that's also just going to make things short-term.
1: Yeah. Ugh, it's tricky. It is. A, it's a very touchy subject.
0: Yeah. Um, let's finish off. Uh, let's go into our tips. You don't care? They're counting on your tips to live? <laughs> so this week... My tip, of all things, is going to be a phone. And this is on the nerdy side of things. Okay. And Steven's <laughs> giving me a strange look. He's wondering... We haven't talked about this. our tips. No, we yeah. haven't. Uh, the tip that I'm going to put in here is a Samsung phone that could possibly light you on fire, uh, because they do light on fire, I guess, or something like that. That's why you can't take them on plane. Good if you live in Antarctica. Yeah, Galaxy phones. The Samsung Galaxy phones do Bluetooth, which is nice. And they also have Ant Plus, which is the language that most bicycling sensors have used for the past 10 years, wireless language. So basically, wireless devices speak in different languages so that they can share data, Mm -hmm. and Ant Plus has been the one that's been used for a long time. Other phones don't have that. There are some Android phones that do, and believe it or not, your iPhone does do Ant Plus. What? Yep. How? But you aren't allowed to use it. Oh. Only Nike Plus. That's stupid. You know, the little shoes with the little pod in them? Yeah. Those speak Amp Plus to your phone. And Nike is the only one that's allowed to use that. So nobody else can use the Amp Plus chip. That's dumb. Pretty lame. So, but I think that now if Apple was to redo it, they would be they would want to do it through Bluetooth anyway. Yeah. But just the same. This phone does Amp Plus and Bluetooth, which means that if you ever want to pair your phone with one of the sensors that you use on your bike, whether for training, whatever that may be, you don't have to worry about using dongles, which Nobody likes dongles anymore. Anyway. Nobody likes a dongle, no. Um, but the problem with dongles is the fact that as you update the operating system on your phone the last thing that that Samsung or that any type of company that's like Apple running iOS or anything else last thing they're concerned with software updates is making sure that it works with your obscure AMP plus dongle. Yeah. They don't care. So it constantly breaks that and then you have to wait for an update. It's it's a pain. So that's my tip. Uh, it's like I don't. I have an iPhone. That's my deal. I'm an iPhone guy. Um, I just. I everything that I. Li- I live within the Apple ecosystem. Don't hate me for that, Android people. Um, I've had an Android for a while. It's okay, but I find that if you are looking for a phone that's really capable and you are the type of person that trains, Galaxy S7 Edge is the one that I've used.
1: It's been pretty good. But you still use personally an iPhone.
0: I still do, yeah.
1: You guys just have your rack of <laughs> tons of phones we and do. tablets and things at the trainer road office.
0: We do. We have a lot yeah. of devices. Yeah. And do you know we pay a company, I think it's in Denmark or something. We pay them an insane amount of money and they have something like 12,000 different devices that run our app. Okay. All the time to make sure that it doesn't have issues. Oh wow. Thanks Android. For being so fragmented. Meanwhile, on iOS, it's like six devices, but 12,000 for Android. Jeez. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, so that's, that's my tip. Steven, your tip.
1: I'm going to give away some information about my build right now. Uh-oh. So I'm going full ridiculous on my build.
0: Yeah, you're going weight weenie on it. I'm going weight weenie 5.5. Yeah. And
1: everybody has been giving me Drink. crap about this whole trying to, you know, get it, you know, in the 26 pound range, um, you know, lose five pounds, you'll be faster. Blah, blah, blah. That's not the point of the build. You people, can lose five
0: pounds and make your bike lighter. Exactly. You just tell them that
1: true. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they keep making points that it's not going to be Steve proof, which is, you know, is there really anything that's Steve proof? Let's no. be honest. Okay. No, let's be real. Um, it, I'm doing the new XTR Di2 on this build. And I know, <laughs> <laughs> I know you had a very heavy sigh there and yeah. you have some weird disdain for Shimano stuff. Fishing reels, bro. Fishing reels. I'm trying to think of something that this Ram Corporation makes that's silly. Mm. Just bike stuff. <laughs> <it>? Okay. Fine. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I'm actually going to be pairing it with E13's uh, 944 or the 946 um, cassette so that I can get that range to be near or better than Eagle. Eagle. Um, Because at the end of the day, I'm sitting here looking at the Eagle drivetrain with the 50-tooth cog and how big that derailleur is. And even on a 29-inch bike, that thing hangs pretty low. And I'm not necessarily worried about breaking it off on anything. I'm not really, you know, worried about any of that sort of stuff. Can I make a confession really quick? What?
0: I've never once hit my derailleur on something, caught something, or bent a
1: derailleur cage ever in my life. You know, and I'll, I'll tell you this: since the induction of the, you know, the latest XTR um, yeah. Shadow Plus system, and then also with X Horizon
0: mm-hmm.
1: on the XX One side, I've never hit one. Ever. It's kind of it's crazy, sick. right? So I've gotten to but the I point where- But I know some I'm, people that just can't, like every time they ride. so like just bending derailleur. hanger. <laughs> Amy Morrison, uh, <laughs> for one. Uh, she was leaving for uh, the Trans-Costa Rica race, came up to Reno to visit for the weekend, yep. had the bike shop tune up her bike, yep. and comes in with a bent derailleur hanger two days before leaving for Costa Rica. Luckily she had a spare. It was just called
0: modified shifting.
1: Yeah. That's all. yeah. Um, so I'm pretty excited about it. I'm going to be doing some custom trick work um, to make it so that it doesn't have an exterior, you know, an exterior battery hanging out and I'm not going to put it in the steer tube. You know, I'm going to leave some of the details out for now, but it's going to be a very clean and very nice setup. And I think it's going to work really well. Nice. And I'll be running the mid cage derailleur, so it's nice and tight. Um, you know, with that 944 cassette. Can you run the mid cage and still
0: get the whole range of? Absolutely, it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. So, but, but then this makes it so that I can run the XTR 9020 trail brakes, which are, I'm sorry, they're better, they're better than Guide RSCs. They don't have the same modulation and the same feel. Yes. But once you get used to that hard initial bite, they're the best brakes out there. They yeah. you you cannot outright braking power you cannot match XTR trails. Especially because you're a bigger guy. I am.
0: So having that extra braking power is very nice.
1: It's it's critical. For me being a light rider, it's not critical. No, it's not. So guide RSCs work great for you. You yep. get the you get the proportioning, that low initial bite and that really good lever feel. Yep. And the high limit with that four piston pot. The yep. problem is I flex those poor piston or four piston pots and I find the braking limit even before the traction limit yep. and I can just keep pulling that lever and you can just see those calipers flexing. Yep. And so for me at 205, 210 pounds, I'm probably over 210 right now because I'm lazy and crippled. It's just because of the fluid in <laughs> your knee. Seriously. Yeah. It's huge right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even the guide ultimates, even if I switched to metal pads and even if I ran ice tech rotors and ran a two Oh three up front, I don't think I would have the same braking force as the XTRs. And I love the way that the XTR feels and I've gotten used to them over the years. Yep. So, so that way this is going to allow me to, you know, run a nice clean all Shimano setup and the worst part about this. Are you ready? Go ahead. You have to run the stupid screen. I know that's the only downside to it is that you have to run that little screen, but at least, I mean, it, it it, let's be real, though. It's always such a problem because you don't know what gear you're in. I know. Now I'll be able to see, <laughs> oh, I'm in sixth gear. Oh, okay. good. I don't have to look down at my cassette anymore and count. Does anybody ever do segment? that anyway? Like I'm making it up this, so I don't care what gear I'm no. in, right? Like That's like, yeah. I could probably just tape over it. And
0: that screen is so silly. Yeah,
1: I wanted to run the dura three-port junction box, it should the be A super junction smart. box, but you can't. That's you slain. have to run the mountain one.
0: I think that that's something that they should do away with. Like yeah. for me, I always feel see, this is like my frustration with Shimano is I feel like they do something that's great and then they go and do that. And they do like one thing always. Um, whether it's like their how clean their XTR stuff was and how cool they did with like aluminum and tight or titanium steel and carbon
1: all in their in the and, in the cassettes yeah 9000 cassettes. cassettes yeah
0: like just so cool right
1: yeah the Bringing upper 3 it, or 4 were all on a carbon carrier so yeah. cool and they their
0: brakes are incredible power But then they, well, I'll start with a cassette. It's all fantastic. But then they come out with this stupid rhythm and step thing, like I talked about, which is basically an excuse for them to not have the range that they wanted to have. Yeah. Now they have 1146, I get it. But then, you know, their brakes, incredible braking power. They also look Awesome. Yeah, but their pads seem to last also a lot better than a lot of other companies. I've
1: never worn out a set of yeah. uh, Shimano metal pads. A lot of great things, but then you have to make the
0: stupid lever like a light switch. Or I shouldn't say the lever, but the actual the modulation is just like a light switch. And I know you get used to it,
1: and I know everything else. But when you're a light rider, it's like a light switch. And that's and that's honestly that's because of the servo wave. Yeah. And the XT eight thousand has a lighter servo wave action than the ninety twenties and this is actually the reason that Jared Graves you know i don't know what he runs now but back when he was on the yeti shimano you know team he would run saint calipers with the xtr race mm-hmm. uh, lever so that he didn't have that servo wave action that created that really intense initial bite
0: yeah and another thing that they do like their their derailleur i think looks the derailleurs always look so good they're like, such, things of Yeah, they're things of beauty but then their clutch has absolutely sucked.
1: I know it's just terrible. The roller clutch is so much better in the in SRAM. It I is. will absolutely agree with that. So I
0: feel like they always do these things, and then the the blowback against SRAM is like, well, it's terrible and it's not durable. And, and I'm sorry, but that's no. not the case. No, it's anymore. not the case.
1: I've been on SRAM for two years now. Yeah, it's not the case. The so, only thing I don't like is their brakes, and it's not that I don't like their brakes. Right. It's that they physically just won't stop my fat ass. Exactly. <laughs> that's yeah. that's really it.
0: Yeah. So and and I also dislike the man. I'm. Shimano would not that we're asking for sponsors or want sponsors on this podcast. We're not even sure if we ever want that on this podcast, yeah. but um, that's, I don't think they'll be sponsoring this episode. Yeah, Shimano so, doesn't like it. Sorry, us right Shimano, now. but
1: I'm trying to be positive. I here. know yeah. and but the the biggest
0: thing that frustrates me is a communicated sense of pride. I'm not saying that this is actually there, but it is communicated. You never want to just admit that SRAM has done something better yeah. and just match it. You always have to stick to your guns and do what you do, which is quantifiably not as good. And then you'll end up coming out with it later. But you always make really kind of... A concerted
1: um, effort to not follow suit.
0: Yeah. And and honestly, it's kind of... And it's not like fo- not following suit because you're doing something that's unique and better. Yeah. It's just not... I'm taking my ball and going home. Yeah. Like, that's like the, the feeling I get from yeah. it. And I feel like it's um, just, you know, but just it's not needed. I feel like... It really, if you're focused on moving things forward and Shimano has so many resources because once again, fishing reels, bro, there's a lot of fishing reels. Bro. They're so, nice
1: fishing reels though. So
0: I hear, yeah, fish probably really love them. Yeah. <laughs> but they're, they make a lot of money from those things. Yeah. They have a lot of resources instead of trickling things out and just giving us another gear, and giving us 12 speed, giving us something like that. Shimano should be driving us toward a better gearbox or something else. So we don't have like a horse and buggy on our bike of having, yeah. you know, cassettes and cogs and a chain and a derailleur hanging off. There you already have
1: it. It's the Alfine Di2 11 speed electronic hub.
0: Like edge. I just think that like Shimano, you really want to act like you're so you really want to be as great as you act. Why don't you actually innovate?
1: Yeah. Let's innovate because as we've discussed before, derailleurs and cassettes, nothing is innovation there. It's nothing Even at Eagle, all. Nothing is innovative. It's not
0: innovative. Exactly. It's,
1: it's a trickle down, a carry on. It's an iterative innovation. at best. Yes. There you go.
0: Yep. And so I, I, that's, that's where my problems lie with Shimano. That said, I honestly feel like the Shimano aesthetic will fit better on your bike. Absolutely. Because I think that the The way that you're building things
1: up with Project Aurora, I think that it will look. That way is thing. her name, and that's she's. I think it's going to be a good combination. You know, the anthracite gray frame really with good. the XTR gray, it's gonna and gonna then look everything pretty. else we're doing, it's going to look good.
0: Yeah. So. <sighs> Cathartic once again. I apologize, everybody, if that Shimano stuff got you upset. But let us know which one you like, Shimano or SRAM. Uh, Send in your questions to us at mtbpodcast.com. You can just go right on there, listen to the latest episode, share it with your friends right there, see all our different social channels, and you can send in your questions. Uh, We'll go through them. We'll see what we can find from next week. Uh, And we'll also, next week, we're going to be getting nerdy again for everybody. We're going to be talking all about suspension systems. I'm going to be doing some actual, like some, some pretty hard research this week on this too. So, um, but just the same, that's what we'll be talking about next week. So make sure you tune in, send in your questions in the meantime, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it and share this podcast. Yes. It'd be awesome. And Steven, before we sign off, somebody said, Steven, you don't have to tell us have a good evening because I listened to this in the morning. It's weird. So, um,
1: have a good insert time here. Yeah.
0: So we've placated everybody. There you go. Yeah. (laughs)